Welcome into another edition of New Track Record. Caleb Hatch and Justin Kinney with you for another week of IndyCar news, discussion, rumors, rants, all of the above. Hello, Justin. Hello, Caleb. How are we doing? Doing well. It's it's spring. Well, almost spring. Spring-ish. It's race week. Yes, for multiple series. Yes. NCAA tournament is here for our American listeners, which is always an exciting couple of weeks of the year. And we have IndyCar finally back in action at Texas for the Expel 375 this weekend. And we'll get into a few things this week on this episode, starting off with IndyCar at Texas. Is this the final rodeo? Plus, Colton Herta gets a development deal, if you will, for McLaren. And we'll discuss other IndyCar silly season uh, rumors for 2023 because we're... Already at that discussion. One race into the season, and we're already talking about 2023. Crazy. But let's start with IndyCar and Texas Motor Speedway. And look, I think we both agree that this will be the final IndyCar race for now at Texas Motor Speedway after this weekend. I feel like the only way it returns next year is if IndyCar has no other option for an oval. I feel like if IndyCar can find at least one new oval for next year, then Texas is off. And, you know, I, you know, when's the last time IndyCar dropped an oval on its own as opposed to being dropped by an oval? So that's kind of the predicament that we're in here. And, you know, once again, we're heading into a weekend where barring something crazy, there's going to be a single line around the track. And, you know, IndyCar is not completely blameless in this because... Here we are recording this on Thursday. You know, cars hit track on Saturday, Saturday's practice. Yes. And they're still throwing out ideas to try to battle the the PBJ, the PJ1. And you would think they would have a plan earlier than now and potentially previous years as well to have an issue. But here they are trying to figure out what to do. And to me, there should have been already a plan in place for this week, knowing that you were coming to Texas and knowing that it was going to be an issue. So I guess, you know, kudos to IndyCar for admitting there's a problem and maybe trying to put together a solution to the problem. But it just seems like too little too late. Yeah. Nathan Brown has a good thread on Twitter by underscore Nathan Brown, the uh, motorsports insider for the Indianapolis Star, talking about these issues with the PBJ, as we call it, the PJ1, that adhesive compound that's on the track. It's on the second lane that has made Texas a single single lane track since the repave, basically, right? Right. So his thread, he he said he spoke with multiple IndyCar team managers this morning, Thursday morning, on the up-to-date proposal for Saturday at TMS. Again, proposal. So things are probably going to change between this recording and what happens Saturday and and to get things set for Sunday. But if enough teams are willing after qualifying on Saturday afternoon, teams will be given one set of last year's tires, one set per team, not car and allowed to strap on far more downforce than legal for the race, run the higher lane for 30 minutes. That would be followed by 15 minutes to detune the cars used along with the planned two hours between qualifying and the second practice session. Uh, So FP2 would be delayed by 45 minutes, which is currently set to run 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern time, 4 to 5 p.m. local. Again, that's a proposal. Uh, 
IndyCar Shinofa has enough volunteer teams to try and lay down a proper amount of rubber in the upper lane that might make a difference in the race ability of the entire track by Friday. So if you're listening after, you know, Friday morning, we'll probably already have the answer here. But with all that said, we know the PBJ slash PJ1 is the clear issue. And like you said, we've known about this since at least 2020, right? I mean, yeah, that's the race. This isn't anything new. Scott Dixon dominated. And I understand the series does not own the track. And people say, well, IndyCar doesn't own TMS. Yes, that is correct. So they can't just do whatever they want. However, they could have worked on mitigation efforts. And I think this is the first time I've seen anything openly discussed as far as a mitigation effort to try to limit the impact of the PBJ on the, the track service for IndyCar. I, I've not seen any discussion about this in previous years. Have you? Which, no, but here we are. It's it's still a proposal. It still needs to be voted on by the teams, and we're two days away from cars on track. I don't understand why this wasn't, you know, it, it, it was obviously going to be an issue going into 2022. Why wasn't this a point to discuss in the offseason and say, hey, when we get to Texas, this is what we're going to do. And now you have teams that, you know, week of, they're like, you know, we don't want to have to tune our cars one way and then have to change it back before, you know, our final practice or, you know, practice after qualifying. You know, from Nathan Brown, it sounded like there's, you know, teams are 50-50. So let's say 50% of the teams want to do it. You have it right there. Let's say if you have five teams that want to do it and you each give them uh, each, you know, a single set of tires, that, that's five cars going around for a half hour. Like, I don't know how much impact that's going to make. I, I really think that IndyCar could have put together a better plan. Create an entirely different practice separate from the other practices where everybody runs up there. You know, they, they don't have to go very fast, but you can just do it. So, you know, you have the teams that whine about the fact that there's a lack of a second line, and then the teams whine about having to go out and try to produce a second line. So it, it's just, uh, it's, I, look, okay, maybe I'm pessimistic. I don't see it working. Whatever they're going to do, it's not going to work. Yeah, I, I am not optimistic, and normally I'm probably the more optimistic person here. Right. right? Yes, I would agree. <laughs> but sure. I am not optimistic either. Marshall Prude of Racer.com laying out some of the options earlier this week that IndyCar could do. One is to try and use uh, a, a drag a steel mesh device over the areas where PJ1 remains in an effort to create consistent amounts of grip on the bottom and second grooves. Another option is use a chemical wash to have the same effect. I feel like they've tried the chemical wash before. Yeah, that sounds familiar. And look, they've 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 uh, some teams have tested at Texas, right? Why wouldn't IndyCar in the offseason be like, okay, we're going to have a all-team pr- te- test at Texas. We're going to see where we're at with the PBJ and, and and address it then. And maybe they they do do the drag or whatever or the chemical wash before that test to then see if that worked. Why are we trying stuff the week of the race as opposed to actually addressing it in the off season or even, you know, a month ago when some of these teams were practice or, or testing at Texas a week ago, even yes, teams were I don't testing. understand why we're doing this now. <laughs> like, it, it, I, I don't know. It's like they, they just kicked the problem down the alley until it was presented to them race week. And be like, Oh crap. We never did kind of try to figure that out. Did we? IndyCar may add an extra 30 minutes, according to uh, Pruitt, 
a practice time to one of the sessions. And and again, Marshall mentioned that same option of the the most likely option where during one of those practice sessions, drivers would venture out in the second lane. He mentions use all 27 cars to put down rubber on the upper groove to best match what's on the bottom. And this is what Will Power has been calling on for years. Will Power is kind of the only one who's speaking up on this to try to fix something. And props to him because... Yeah, kudos to, to Will Power. It, Usually I do It does not benefit him to be calling for this. Right. Does it? I, I mean... Well, I mean, maybe. I mean, here, here's the problem. You know, well, there's a multitude of problems, but the fact that you're out of Texas, you're at Texas, which is a high-speed oval, is, you know, if we were like at Iowa and or, or Gateway and this was being proposed, I think you could you would have more drivers willing to go up into that second line and try to lay it down. But the speeds that we see at Texas, and, and I don't think drivers are, look, they're probably like, you know what? Another track, yes, but I'm not. I'm I'm not going to risk my car going up in that junk at Texas. Like the speeds are too great, the danger is too much. Like you know, they're not too interested. And I think even in the in the race, you know, last couple of years people said, well, if somebody goes up there and starts working that line, maybe it'll come in. No, not at this those speeds, and and at that track, nobody's going to risk that. Well, and you have a lane and a half of track for these cars. That's just, it's not going to work for the racing where this race historically up until what, five or so years ago has been a two, even three lane track. Yeah, absolutely. So that that's another problem too. We've seen what this track can do when it has multiple lanes. And unfortunately we don't have that. And I feel like IndyCar's efforts to change it are way too late. And will in the eventual and in the end be ineffective. This whole situation to me feels like the textbook definition of a true last ditch effort. Absolutely, I, I just feel like where was IndyCar a mu- you know a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, three months ago with trying to solve this issue? And you know, it comes down in the end to um, it's just not a good track anymore. I don't blame TMS because they have to cater to what pays the bills and that's cup. That's NASCAR, right? Um, you know, some people may be more upset than I am, but you know, you have to do what's the, what's best for business and best for business for Texas motor speedway is catering to NASCAR, particularly with the crowds that even when we had good races at Texas, were floundering. So, uh, unfortunately, I, I expect another underwhelming crowd this weekend, especially with the start time at 11.40 a.m. local time. How many people are going to venture out to to get to that race? I expect, you know, what, maybe 15,000, maybe, yeah, at this race? Yeah, that's about what they had last year, it seemed. Yeah, at, at best, and, and th- this will be it. I, I think IndyCar probably has some plans um, next year, whether it be Homestead or something, to replace uh, Texas on the schedule. I will say this, the weather is preferable compared to last year and especially compared to that early June date. I mean, the, the temperatures Saturday Downright and mild, Sunday right? are supposed to be in the like, I think race day is low 70s and I think Saturday is mid to upper 70s. Yeah. That's great spring weather Absolutely. in the Metroplex. Yeah, it, it's going to be great weather for for racing and maybe that'll help the walk-up crowd at the very least, but I don't think we're cramming a lot of people into the seats come this weekend. So the next question is, what is the future of this race? Again, we both agree that this is probably the last rodeo for IndyCar at Texas for the time being. Uh, Joey Barnes of tobychristie.com has an exclusive interview 
with Rob Ramage, who is the Senior Vice President and General Manager of Texas Motor Speedway. Uh, he was promoted last August after Eddie Gossage uh, stepped down after 25 years. And he has positive thoughts. He, he says, we want IndyCar to be a longtime partner of TMS. We do. And it's great for the fans. People love it. And then from the perspective of IndyCar, I don't care if you're operating a pro bowling tour. The state of Texas is important for any professional sport. So he, he goes on to say he values the relationship with IndyCar. They, they want to remain partners. Um, he's been with TMS since 2013 in different roles. And also... He's in favor of this new date. He said, I'm not so hung up on June being when we always have to have an IndyCar race. You think about this weekend. He talks about the weather forecast. How many times have you seen that weather in the month of June? When we've historically run the race in the month of June in Texas, it's always been very, very hot. So you put your fan hat on. And you always think of fans first. So he's optimistic about this and the fans. And as far as the future, um, <laughs> He says uh, all the right things. Well, that's what I say. Like, we thought this race was DOA once Eddie Gossage retired, right? And at least for now, Texas administration is saying the right things. They want IndyCar back. They want it on the schedule. They'll move it around if they have to. I just, uh, you know, I can imagine that Texas Motor Speedway is still getting in a considerable discount with its sanctioning fee. And... You know, I guess if there's an uptick in crowd this year, maybe there's a possibility that it returns. I just feel like the racing isn't good for IndyCar right now. And I think if the sport, if the series has other options, they're going to look at them. And, you know, maybe this is just a, a hiatus if they do indeed go away from Texas. If they figure out, if Cup figures out a way to have some sort of adhesive on the on tracks that isn't so damaging to the show of IndyCar, then maybe this is a temporary departure. Ramaj says at the end, uh, talking about IndyCar, we would miss it. The fans would miss it. I'm just optimistic that we will always be partners, but that's really all I can say. It's not real confident at the end, right? <laughs> no, right? So that's what he had to say. And again, he's the guy in charge. So I... I don't know. I, I don't feel optimistic. And then you look at some of the options and it came back to, well, which would you rather have Texas or Milwaukee, <laughs> Milwaukee, which, which was Nathan Brown had kind of thrown that out. Yes. There. He, he threw that out there. Now he did kind of say that, you know, that's something he's heard, but there's but aren't there grandstands not a whole lot gone? to it. Like what's Milwaukee look like right now? So Brown says, uh, the latest in the paddock was that Milwaukee was being looked into as a possible replacement option. He was told that two weeks ago. Did some additional digging along with Dave Coleman, who's with the uh, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, who covers motorsports with that newspaper. And folks who would know connected to that track were unaware of anything with serious legs. So that is the kind of the latest rumor. And we've been told for a long time that Homestead would be added as a, a race after St. Pete, whether that's, you know, a week later or a couple weeks later, it would be a spring date for IndyCar. That would add an oval. Obviously, you'd be hopeful that IndyCar could add Richmond back eventually that was set to be on the schedule before the pandemic, and then they had to cancel that. But that's those are the kind of tracks. I mean, short ovals are the kind of tracks that work for IndyCar. Mile and a half tracks, not so much. 
Homestead, though, is a mile and a half track, so we'll see. True, and, and I think it, it still benefits IndyCar to have another super speedway, at least one on the schedule outside of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I, I truly believe that it helps the teams, uh, and, and preferably you'd want to have one before the 500 like we have this year, but at the very least, you're gathering data from one year to the next at another track outside of Indy, and I think that's that's important, and you know, Maybe we'll get lucky. Maybe we'll see both Homestead and Texas on the schedule next year. I, I, you know, anything's possible. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm entering the weekend pessimistic, but maybe things will exceed expectations, of, of which they are low, I think, for both of us. So, um, you know, Texas is saying the right things, but I think the crowd's going to have a lot to do with it. I think the uh, the show is going to have a lot to do with it, but... You know, I guess there's a bigger possibility after hearing some of those quotes that Texas returns than how I felt beforehand. Well, in in with this Texas race, I mean, it's been a partner with IndyCar since it opened in 97. It was huge for the early years of the IRL and, and the growth there. Obviously, IndyCar has shifted from being an oval only, an oval focus series, you know, to more of a road racing series and that that shift has really taken part in the last decade or so and this new car and we talk about all the different iterations of it whether we're talking the dw12 the um the arrow kit era the ir18 or uak or uak uak18 and now with the um the arrow screen the, the racing has changed at texas and it's not you're not going to get back to what we saw in the late 90s, early 2000s, but you're hopeful you can get back to something similar to, what, 2016? Yeah. Well, and, and I think, let's, let's be honest, I think Texas Motor Speedway has kind of gotten the short end of the stick, for sure, with IndyCar the last couple of years, because, you know, when they're building a super speedway package, they're really centering it on the Indianapolis 500. Right. And, and so when they talk about short ovals and super speedways and road and street courses, every decision they make with that super speedway package is to benefit the 500. And if, and and it doesn't help Texas Motor Speedway. Some of the adjustments may. But when you look at how heavy this car has gotten, uh, they've made adjustments so it's as raceable as possible at Indy. And that's not necessarily conducive to what's at Texas. It's not, oh, one's a super speedway, the other's a super speedway. One works with the other. No, that's not how it works. But IndyCar has prioritized the Indy 500, and I don't blame them for that. But it has really given TMS the short end of the stick because eh, it's the only other super speedway in the schedule. How much effort are they going to put into it? Whereas, you know, they're, they're putting a lot of effort in, in, into the 500. I, I mentioned to you, Caleb, why doesn't Firestone just develop a tire that works on both surfaces? And I know that's time and money and the investment isn't worth it considering it would just be for one race. But, you know, that's a, a proposal as well that that's an IndyCar's, you know, if it's an IndyCar's best interest to put the best show possible at Texas, why not go to Firestone and say, hey, you know, figure something out? At least with this race, we're going to have a huge field, 27 cars, Ed Carpenter racing. Let's not have a big wreck and lap one, uh, one please. Yeah, don't jinx it. Uh, Ed Carpenter racing in the 33 car. J.R. Hildebrand will be in the 11 car that was announced last Friday. He'll run all the ovals in the number 11 rocket for A.J. Foyt racing. No surprise uh, for that announcement. But we'll have a great field. We'll have a competitive field. 
and they'll have an opportunity. It's just, will it be single file with a, a field like that? And then it'd be impossible <sighs> to pass lap cars. I mean, that's something you have to think about, right? Yeah. I think lap traffic is going to have a big impact on this race and not for the better. In my opinion, I think, you know, we go to gateway, we go to Iowa. People are like, you know, Oh, five laps in, you're already getting into lap traffic. And you know, no, I, I, I feel like this is going to be a problem. I hope it's not processional, but I feel like without major changes, I mean, I guess, you know, we can see the, um, you know, with, with the uh, downforce and everything, maybe that'll help a little bit. I, I don't know because they have a couple different levels they can pick from, or at least adjustments they can make. But, you know, unfortunately this is a race that um, has become more and more irrelevant over the last several years. All right, we'll get to Texas storylines at the end of the episode, but we'll continue on. Colton Herta signed to a development deal for McLaren F1. He'll take part in McLaren's TPC allowance, which is testing of previous cars. And what is interesting is, while he has no FP1 session set in F1 for the upcoming season, this would allow him the opportunity, and one would think this would uh, allow the opportunity for Herta. What's odd is they announced this, and in the midst of Pato Award, basically saying, you know, oh, I could be going elsewhere next year. Now, the understanding is he's essentially a restricted free agent, according to Nathan Brown of the Indy Star. But with all that said, interesting announcement considering what Pato's comments have been since St. Pete. Well, I think a lot of this, there's a lot of layers to this, and a lot of it, you know, some of it we don't even make sense, really. But let's just take it with Mbato's, uh, you know, he, he's he's leveraging. I, I don't think there's any ounce of Pato Award that wants to leave Errol McLaren SP, because it still is his most direct path to Formula One. Going to any other team in the IndyCar paddock, takes him away or makes it more difficult to get into Formula One. And that includes Andretti Autosport, because as of right now, Andretti Global is not part of the future in Formula One per the FIA. They have to approve it. So I feel like this is, you know, basically, you know, I understand Pato Award is probably not happy, um, but he knows that if he wants to get to Formula One, he needs to stay where he is. I will say this, though, Andretti Global, Michael Andretti telling Racer.com that opinions are changing and they're getting support from the team owners they have talked to. I mean, until the FIA says, yes, we'll let you in, I'm not going to include Andretti Autosport as any type of future F1 fielding team, to be honest, because, you know, breaking into that 10-team club is extremely, extremely difficult. Well, it, it, it's exclusive, so they're yes. not just going to let anyone in anyway. Now, if you're going to let anybody in, you'd think you'd let the Andretti family in, but, you know, money talks and going both ways, depending on how much Andretti can throw in and also how much that is being divvied up between 10 teams in Formula One that, you know, 2024 and beyond may have to be split up 11 ways. Now, something that Nathan Brown pointed out on Twitter that I think a lot of people had questions on, because this is all about super license points for Colton Herta, and he's a few points short, according to what we understand, and and it depends on how you tally it up, but he's a couple points short. 
and Nathan Brown of the Indy Star saying, I've been told by a McLaren F1 official that Colton Herta running TPC test sessions does, in fact, earn him much-needed super license points toward the 32 he already has, and more importantly, the eight additional ones he needs. So does Pato Award not need the points? Is he in a position where he's not going to need those TPC points, which is testing previous car is what that means. We had to look it up, but yes, that's what that means. I think he also needs the points. The issue is, so Indy Lights, when they competed in 2018, right? Was it 2018? Yes, 2018, when they were teammates. The issue is the series that year had, it was like eight or nine full-time cars. If there were 10, then they'd already have the super license points. Because you need a minimum of like 10 full-time cars or whatever in a series to get super license points. So that is kind of the hang up there. And I think that's why this opportunity has come about. Now you wonder, will McLaren afford the same opportunity to Pato Award to be one of those TPC developmental drivers? I don't understand why McLaren would all of a sudden decide to throw Pato Award to the side for Colton Herta. And that's why I don't think that's going on. I think there's an explanation for what's going on that maybe not all parties are privy to. But I feel like if Zach Brown today had to pick whether you're putting Pato Award or Colton Herta in a McLaren F1 car, it's Pato Award, right? One would think. So, and, and nothing indicates to me that that has changed. I mean, if we were deep in this season and Colton Herta was second in points and Pato Award was 12th, then maybe you could say, well, in terms of on-track performance, maybe Zach Brown is trending elsewhere. But I don't think anything has changed you know, recently that would make Zach Brown all of a sudden want to back Colton Herta at this point. And unless there's some sort of other deal going on where Andretti is like, okay, if I cannot buy my way into Formula One, then I'm going to partner with an existing F1 team. And could that be the play? I don't know. It seems like they're helping Colton Herta, but why are they casting a ward aside? And I don't believe they're doing that. I mean, that's what the perception is publicly yeah. behind the scenes though. Like you said, I feel like there's something else going on that we're not privy to. I mean, the question is why is McLaren doing Andretti Autosport a favor? And I think that's the big question. And I don't think nobody has the answer. At least outsiders have the answer to why are they doing this? What's going on? I think it's is a it money. Help me help you situation. Yeah, is it, Hey, you know, if I can't get into Formula One on my own, then, you know, what do you think we partner up, you know, and throw a, a crap ton of money at you? Because, you know, McLaren isn't in the best financial straits. I think it's better than it was a year or two years ago, but it could still use an influx of, you know, several hundred million dollars, of which we know that uh, Andretti has to throw around. Um, you know, something's going on, right? And And I don't think... When we look at everything we do know, none of this all makes sense. But I think once we find out more, then I think we can look back and go, okay, that's why this happened. We just have to wait. So that is one of the the question marks. And then we talk about award and we shift to silly season 2023. And again, we mentioned Pato Award, essentially a restricted free agent. And he's been very keen to get his message out there. You know about the future. Well, I'm not sure what my future is with McLaren. All the outlets seem to have run a story already this week talking about that. And you know the the racer silly season update. Honestly, I, I don't feel like we learned anything new. Right? <laughs> I was excited when the article came out Same. and excited reading it. 
And then after the fact, I felt like we learned absolutely nothing, which, you know, at this in March of, of 2022 with one race in the books, there's not going to be a lot set in stone or even, you know, narrowed down either. I think it just kind of presented the storylines that we're going to follow throughout the season. So we, we also learned that Alexander Rossi likely gone from Andretti Autosport for 2023. Again, not big, not, 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 not a big surprise. Uh, Marshall Pruitt saying, if it isn't an extension with Andretti, I would not be shocked to see Rossi land at Aaron McLaren SP or Chip Ganassi Racing again. Interesting that, that Penske car, wasn't thrown in there. Well, you turn Penske That's down true. once. That's a good point. You're probably not going to get another shot. And I, I don't want to continue to gloat, but wasn't it I, and you jumped on board too, when, when he initially turned down Team Penske because he wanted to be the guy in Andretti. And look how that's gone. And and he's now, no longer the guy. He's no longer the guy, and it hasn't worked out for him. And you know, when we look at it, could he have been um, the spot that Scott McLaughlin is in at this point, potentially? Yeah, uh, you know what I mean. So, uh, and and you, like you mentioned, you know, Pinsky doesn't forget when you tell him no, and that's exactly what Alexander Rossi did. And quite frankly, you could say that he has not had the on-track performance to make him Penske material over the last couple years. Not since the 2019 season. No, he is not. And you could say, while he has his, had his struggles and some you could blame on the team and others, bad luck and all that stuff, he's still not getting results that other teammates of his are getting, predominantly Colton Herta. So this can't be a woe is Alexander Rossi. He's just, you know, bad luck and, and you know, team isn't helping him out. He's not performing to the level that he needs to consistently. And if he can't do it with Andretti, why would Roger Penske and Tim Sindrick feel that he could do it with them? Other rumors, Kyle Kirkwood probably going to Andretti uh, after that rumored attempt by Aaron McLaren SP to sign him last year that we heard about what at St. Pete. Yeah, and that was the uh, Townsend Bell throwaway practice bomb <laughs> that he threw out there. And then also Marshall mentioning Aaron McLaren SP and, and Rossi. We've been saying that since what last summer? People would just listen to us. <laughs> sometimes. Yes. Sometimes we we, we, we we have a clue. We never mention the the multitude of times where we're wrong, but by gosh, we are going to mention the times when we're right. Well, of course. And then Callum Eilat. So Ferrari is still maintaining its relationship with Eilat. So that part is interesting. It's being called a gap year with uh, Ferrari. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out, but basically he's getting this deal. Then we'll see what happens. And then at the end, Marshall mentions Elio Castroneves. Obviously the focus will be on Elio being competitive in May being competitive on the ovals, but it, it already mentioning a lot of drivers for that second seat at Meyer shank racing. You know, what was interesting in that article was uh, Marshall Pruitt pointing out that uh, Mike Shank and Mike Shake Racing, usually the least um, patient out of all teams in terms of results, which kind of surprised me because they were so big on Jack Harvey. And, you know, I just don't feel like the, he had the results indicative of how much faith they were putting in him. So that was kind of an interesting line considering I thought Jack Harvey, not saying that they should have gotten rid of him, but, you know, if if Mike Shank... And that team is as impatient as was indicated there. I would have thought that they would have kind of wanted to move past Jack Harvey instead of trying to re-sign him. So 
I feel like we're seeing when we talk swan songs, we talk Texas swan song. I think we're seeing it for Elio this year. I think over the course of 17 races, we're going to see that Elio is not capable of putting up consistent results. And that's no knock on him. It's just reality. It was reality before he left Penske, but the final year at least. And I think we're going to see it over the course of this year. Put him in Indy. Yeah. All day long. Run him another 10 years if you want to. But in terms of full-time rides, I just don't see it. I don't think he has the potential to be a factor in a championship. All right. So if you agree or disagree with us, we'd love for you to interact. You can find us online, newtrackrecordpodcast.com. While you're there, sign up for the email list so you never miss an episode. You can also follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is IndyCar Podcast. On Facebook, like us. Just search for New Track Record. And you can also email us, newtrackrecordpodcast at gmail.com. And be sure to follow us on your favorite podcasting platform. You can follow us all for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or also on Amazon Music now, or wherever you find your podcasts all for free. Okay, Justin, time for the mailbag, and we actually have a lot to get to this week. Let's go! A lot from the listeners talking about a variety of topics from the last week in IndyCar. And first off, the McLaren-Colton Herta development deal. Laser Disco says, I'm betting that it's probably just so Herta can get enough points on a super license for Andretti's eventual foray into F1 rather than being McLaren's new driver. I, I guess, yeah. I, again, like I said, a help me help you situation. That is the only way I can really describe it. Right. Um, this on replies to, interesting that the series is now trying to do something after multiple years of knowing the PJ one has been a problem, uh, Atlanta cat 99 says, I've always wondered why they just didn't get some trucks to drag some used Firestones behind them for a few dozen laps. And it was proposed at one point, but I've never understood why it was never implemented. Well, that's what almost essentially what, what they, they might try this do. weekend. But here we are Thursday and now they're, Hey, maybe we could try this. I mean, the fact is they haven't tried a single thing in the last couple of years. And, and if they would have tried stuff and it didn't work, I, I guess you could say the chemical wash. I guess they tried that. Uh-huh. So, but yeah, in terms of dragging tires, we've never seen that in terms of a dedicated session over the weekend where cars need to r- drive up there. I don't care if they're going 70 mile an hour, like just have them go around for an hour. Um, but they didn't do that. And now, you know, they're, they're trying to throw something together last minute to try to rectify the situation. So yeah, Definitely feel like the ball has been dropped over the last couple of years. Scuba Steve 85 says, I would say better late than never, but I think it's already too late. We both agree. Yes. Jeremy from HBG says, have they thought about rubbing a giant rubber cement pickup eraser over it? <laughs> hey, whatever. Just tr- try something. Daguerre says a few weeks before the race and still without, or sorry, a few days before the race and still without a clue what would work. If anything, stuff like this, Sure is fascinating for F1 fans trying to get interested in IndyCar. That's an excellent point. Yeah. It's definitely. And you look at Texas Motor Speedway, too. And, you know, we heard the quotes about wanting to bring IndyCar back. And and I know Texas is a big state. I get it. But the fact that Austin and Coda is what sold. The reserve seats are sold out, right? Yes. I, I'm sorry. I, I f- still feel like Texas Motor Speedway is competing with Coda for people to go to races. And I think it benefits Texas Motor Speedway to have IndyCar than not have IndyCar, considering 
what CODA has become. And I think all credit to Circuit of the Americas, because, you know, a year ago at this time, we were saying that that track was going to go away off the Formula One schedule. Now it, the reserve seats are sold out, right, for that event. And what is it, in July? I think Ooh. October. I mean, yeah, that's even crazy. That's crazy. So um, I, I feel like Texas Motor Speedway has got to look at this and say, man, we need as many events as possible because a lot of people are just going to say, hey, we're going to Coda and it's going to be a yearly thing and that's all we're doing. So I could definitely see Texas Motor Speedway you know, being more willing to to um, maybe not get as sweetheart of a deal as Eddie Gossage consistently got and come back to the IndyCar schedule because Coda's killing it. And then lastly, this from 500 Indy 1911. IndyCar doesn't own the track. They ultimately have no say in what TMS does or doesn't do to their surface. TMS tried a chemical last year, I believe, to remove the P- PJ1 to lessen seller results. Yeah, that's kind of what, in summation to what, we discussed before. All right, you posted this poll. That was hilarious. With IndyCar adding a Peacock post-race show, which again is only set for this weekend, to be clear. Okay. Uh, what will fans focus their whining on now? 39% said no Milwaukee or Michigan. <laughs> 31% lack of Freedom 100. 28% few early year races. 2% said track entertainment. I thought track entertainment would be higher based on I, the feedback we saw from from Iowa last week. This from Poet Shevchenko. Expect Milwaukee or Michigan especially if TMS comes with the news that they aren't renewing uh, their place on the calendar. Uh, Jeremy from HBG says commercials. Yeah, I'm already seeing that from fans outside the U.S. <laughs> I don't under... Uh, we, we have that's the thing we it, can get to. We have different standards and, and setup for television. It just, it is what it is. Well, and, you know, people are like, well, we, we get F1 races on ESPN with no commercials. And it's still sponsored. It's still sponsored. Yeah, like you need to sponsor. Yeah, Mother's Polish is probably paying a crap ton of money. Because look, look, look at it. They have to pay the equivalent of what ESPN would make over all of those commercial breaks, right? So yes. monetarily, it's a huge investment. To be fair, ESPN didn't have to pay for the F1 rights initially True, when they got them. True. But it was a favor to like an executive. Yeah. Now look how that's turned out for them. <laughs> Quite well. I don't understand why people think that's the rule and not the exception. Because quite frankly, there are a fair amount of Formula One races I wish had commercials. Because I'm sitting there on lap 26 <laughs> of 78 going, there's nothing going on. And man, could I get a commercial break so I can fast forward two of these laps to get there? So uh, maybe I'm in the minority there, but even some IndyCar races, oh, thank God there's a commercial. Maybe they can, you know, come Or up when they're live, that's when they do the through the field. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, I'm just throwing it out there, folks. If you want commercials that don't interrupt big moments on track for IndyCar... Maybe designated yellow flags for commercial breaks. If, if it's that important to you guys, then maybe every 15 laps we wave a caution for two laps and have our commercial break. So you're advocating for stage racing? <laughs> I mean, it's tongue-in-cheek <laughs> for sure, but that's how, how, how silly I find this argument is every sport, every show has commercials in the United States. It's just how it is. You know, you look at Formula One, that is the exception, okay? It's not like IndyCar is around here and it's the only, you know, sporting event that has commercials. Everybody has commercials. NASCAR has plenty of commercials, right? So, I don't know. I just don't understand why people are are, are getting on board with this. It's never going to happen. Uh, I just, it, it's pretty wild to me. Unless they stream stuff on a service and you 
pay, yeah. you know, what, $100 for the whole season or something. Yeah. Which is what MotoGP, to be fair, has been doing for a long time. F1 TV, same concept. And, you know, if we get to a point where a mother's polish, for example, is paying to cover all of the commercial breaks for IndyCar, then great. But here's another argument, too, is that's, in my opinion, that's never going to happen because you have a lot of IndyCar-specific sponsors that want to be seen on the broadcast. Like, even just take take the major, the, the major ones, Firestone, Honda, Chevy, you know, and then on NBC, we always seem to get Liberty Mutual. Right. We get those commercials. We get Carvana commercials. Like, you know, all of those want to activate with commercials on the broadcast. Formula One, the world broadcast, doesn't care about the American commercials making sure they're getting on in terms of advertisers. Like, that's not a priority for them in the United States, right? So it's easy for Mother's Polish to go in and say, hey, we're going to just scrap all the commercials. And it was probably just generic commercials anyway on ESPN and all that. And we're just going to have no commercials. You cannot do that in IndyCar because either you need somebody to come with a huge check. But even then, Honda's going to be like, hey, you know, we need to have some commercial spots. Firestone needs their spots, right? So in a lot of different ways, it's unrealistic to think that'll happen. All right, moving on. N.K. Harden says, um, yes to all. M. Vanny says, digital displays on the roll hoop. <laughs> Jordan did you try under- that before? Yeah, they did. Jordan underscore Wilman. Most IndyCar fans will be hoping that we lose an OEM or a car team from this point forward. In uh, Yeoman, Nick Yeoman says, not chasing the qualifying speed record at Indy. <laughs> uh, uh, let's see. Racer Mac RTP1 says, he's right, you know. A gif of uh, Morgan Freeman. Yeah, talking about uh, Yeoman's point. And then Zach C eight seven seven one says, "I'm sticking with few early year races personally. All things people can complain about. There, there's plenty. This is any car. That's what we do. That's right. There's no. We're never. We're never satisfied. And, and trust me, we do a fair amount of complaining on this podcast. So we're not immune from this. Definitely. Definitely not. All right. IndyCar uh, silly season in full swing. Uh, responses about Pato Award and that article. Hunter's Way 67 says, I could see Penske going all in on Pato and Rossi heading to AMSP. Yeah, makes sense. Daguerre says, Rossi to AMSP makes no sense to me. Rossi to Penske, no award to Ganassi is my guess. J underscore T-Rock underscore 71, upset about Colton's McLaren deal, maybe? Could very much be so. Yes. He probably found that out around St. Pete before they announced it, and... Yeah, he started advocating if, for himself then. Sure. I mean, if he found out secondhand before hearing it from Zach Brown and McLaren, definitely could see him being salty. Tyler underscore Allen says, uh, replaces power at Penske, that referencing Pato Award. And then Ramsey's underscore A underscore Perez on Twitter says, whatever happens, I just hope they don't do Pato Award wrong like has happened to him in the past. Also true. I mean, his Harding Steinbrenner ride. Sure. Taken out from under him. Um... He had to exit the the Red Bull deal in Super Formula Japan and then came to run with Carlin and and then finally got the McLaren ride and hopefully McLaren doesn't do to him what they've done to other guys in the past. Well, and and like I said earlier, if if the end goal for Pato Award is to get to Formula One, if you go from McLaren to Penske or McLaren to Ganassi, it's a step backward in that quest. Yes. So that's kind of balancing things is where is Pato Award? Where does he want to get to? And I still feel like McLaren is the best 
route to get there. It's the only team that's in both Formula One and IndyCar right now. So that's the play. And I feel like if he goes to Penske or goes to Ganassi, it's exciting for us as IndyCar fans. But I think it's a um, it's it's a step in the wrong direction for Pato Award in an effort to get to Formula One. In Captain 185, even Graham Rahal wants Cleveland back. Let's do this. I think we all want Cleveland, Cleveland back, back, except Cleveland, apparently. Yes, that that is accurate. Which I think I think would be an important aspect of the return to Cleveland. All right, moving on, and this is a poll on expectations for Jimmy Johnson's first IndyCar Oval race this weekend at TMS. Oh, here we go. Fifty-four <laughs> percent said top fifteen. Thirty-five percent said other. Eight percent top ten. Three percent top five. Uh, Sig Domer says top twenty. Indy Nathan says, I think he'll qualify well because the Ganassi cars are fast there. And since passing isn't easy, he'll maintain a top 15. That would be solid for his over de- uh, oval debut. Uh, you said, disclaimer, this is not my poll, which <laughs> leaves only one person. I said, I cannot confirm or deny. Uh, Jamin <laughs> I just thought we had to put it out there. <laughs> Jamin T14, I'm really rooting for him to be competitive, but and it's a picture of the Carvana car on a wrecker. Uh, <laughs> Autosport Lab says maybe a win wow that's bold get out of town that's bold it's very bold um let's see what else I tell we you, have if here. you bet that and it happens you will be very very happy hunter's way 67 says i think he gets up in the pj1 and walls it <laughs> you, you replied with a gif of peanut butter nice work i go with what and this- bowling underscore chad top 20 if lucky success at texas and a stock car probably won't translate into success in Texas and an IndyCar, two different animals. I will say this. Jimmy Johnson seemed pretty confident in you know how it translates, and it was not as different as, as he expected it to be. Going from well, cup car to IndyCar at TMS. But he hasn't been in traffic yet. True. Which I think is very concerning. Like, let's be honest. It's his first oval in an IndyCar in terms of racing. So I think we need to when when we when we judge everybody else by it's their first oval in IndyCar, we tend to say, well, it's going to be a learning experience. But we're trying to give Jimmy the benefit of the doubt because he's had considerable seat time elsewhere and a test. But I, I still feel like it's going to be an uphill battle for Jimmy as he figures out how this car handles in traffic. Like you mentioned, it's a big field, 27 cars. So even if you're not at the front, you're going to be battling lap traffic, and that very well could be Jimmy. And you're never going to be able to find much of a a place to drive on track without some sort of action happening in front or behind you. So I think that's going to be as big of a factor as anything for Jimmy. This on IndyCar's last minute, seemingly desperate efforts at a second line at TMS. And it's a gif of Newman saying, what took you so long (laughs) from Seinfeld and a hunter's way 67 says no bleep. That's always been the IndyCar way react instead of acting first. I, you know what? I'll give any car credit. I think they've shaken that moniker recently. I would say when it comes to safety, they always right. act first. Yeah. I would They're agree. ahead of everyone, usually on that, that aspect. But I but think outside th- of that, yeah. Yeah. I would say in this instance, this is quote unquote vintage IndyCar in terms of waiting to the last possible moment or being too late to fix a problem. And then finally, a poll most likely result this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. said Kyle Kirkwood top 10, 33% Jimmy Johnson top 15, 12% Elio Castroneves top 5, 5% Alexander Rossi wins, couple replies here, 
A Knight underscore 210 says, Gotta say, this is Jimmy's type of bread and butter, but this only going to be one line racing because TMS doesn't care about IndyCar and slapped fresh PJ1 there. It's going to be a close one for the top 15. I'm seeing 18th. Hunter's Way 67 says, Everyone is underestimating Rossi. Look out. And uh, Knight, uh, Austin Knight agrees. Rossi's definitely going to be red hot. So we'll see, but some people predicting some results out of Rossi this weekend. And I will admit that was my poll. And I did put Jimmy Johnson top 15. So I thought it would be, I just pulled some random drivers and random results out there that could be intriguing. And and I feel um, if I had to, oh, when I did vote, I'm trying to think I probably went Kirkwood. I feel like what we saw in the first race of the season and what we know of Kyle Kirkwood is you could have a pretty successful weekend at Texas, particularly if you stay out of trouble. And then finally, this from Poet Shevchenko on the post-race shows on Peacock. I think this will be a surprisingly effective way to pull people to Peacock, ending every broadcast with, for more post-race coverage, we are live on Peacock. Excellent point. You can draw viewers to the app if you're watching on NBC. I would say, you know, I I, want to say, well, there are more, not more people, but there are a lot of people watching on the stream, but we know that not to be true because... You're, you got, what, 1.2 million at St. Pete what, it was on like linear some, TV? 20-something thousand. 24,000 on Peacock, but maybe those numbers could change throughout the season. I, I do like it, can, you know, continuing coverage, because even casual fans are going to go there and watch post-race more often than not, you and I potentially being the exception, um, unless something, you know, crazy is happening or, or, or uh, you know, exciting. So... I think it's a good thing. I mean, you see it a lot on ESPN, you know, go to ESPN three for further, you know, coverage, all that stuff. I just think it's a uh, natural progression for IndyCar. All right. Time for news and notes and a few things to uh, shuffle through here quickly. IndyCar naming American Legion as an official charity partner to raise awareness of the veterans group and efforts to reduce veteran suicide. Also Rick Mears to be honored by the road racing drivers club at long beach. That event's been postponed twice in 2020 and 2021 due to the pandemic. So congrats to Rick uh, with that. Bobby Ray Hall, the president of that club. Also, I think that the thing that came out today as we record on Thursday, this is awesome. Pennzoil presents the club. This will be ahead of the GMR Grand Prix on Saturday, May 14th. NBC will air the only recorded conversation with all four four-time Indy 500 winners. Well, once we found out that we had lost one of the four-time winners we were like man was were they ever able to get together right and you hope more the you know as often as possible um and it sounds like they were able to get together at least once for this in terms of a of a you know documentary style type thing or at least get them and, and really pick their minds so really looking forward to this and i'm glad super glad that they made it happen Adam Stearns says Salesforce, the San Francisco-based tech giant that has dabbled in IndyCar. Remember, they've sponsored J.R. Hildebrand in years past in the Indy 500. About to announce a five-year official sponsorship of F1. We'll pay the series around $30 million annually for the rights. It's a lot of money. Salesforce is a really big company in their field when it comes to, I think, digital marketing. I think is the correct in digital sales. 
Well, it's a pretty big deal. All I know is there were a lot of Salesforce commercials during the Olympics, and I watched a lot of the Winter Olympics, uh-huh. and not once did it say what Salesforce even did. I think it was Matthew McConaughey was in that commercial where it was like uh, he was in space, but then he came back onto Earth and said how great, kind of basically how great Earth was, and then it was flash the Salesforce logo at the end, and casual people would just be like, I, I, I have no idea what Salesforce is, but American cloud-based software company headquartered in San Francisco. Customer like, Relationship Management, a.k.a. CRM, uh, software and applications focused on sales, customer service, marketing automation, analytics, and application development. There I still don't know what that means. <laughs> like, I'm sure people in in business and in that industry know what that means. It's like, it's a lot of money for for a product that you can't just go out and purchase or get involved in not saying it's the wrong decision i'm just saying it's they are very aggressive with their advertising in terms of something that doesn't apply to everyday people basically crm customer relationship management a huge deal for most businesses absolutely i can't really get more into the details but it's it's a software to kind of track that and you know monitor and update and stay on top of of managing you know customers clients that sort of thing Outside of that, above my head, but I'm sure someone could explain it to us. And, you know, to, to, I, I imagine they want to increase their global footprint and what better thing to get involved in at this point in terms of, of you know, sport around the world than Formula One. All right. And one last uh, note on the sponsor side, Carvana's released episode two of Reinventing the Wheel with uh, Jimmy Johnson recapping the Firestone GP. And then finally... Did you see who is announced as the uh, Grand Marshal for the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama at Barber? I did not. Is it Nick Saban? <laughs> no. Oh. Uh, right sport. Wrong team. Auburn? No. This is going to puzzle you because so they've had they've had um, Charles Barkley of Auburn okay. do it in the past. They've had Bo Jackson, I believe, do it in the past. Auburn. Right. Yeah. S- same conference. So it's not Alabama or Auburn. Correct. Uh, Florida? Yeah. Is it um, Steve Spurrier? No. Right team. Well, yeah, I would imagine. So uh, Tim Tebow? Yes. Really? Yeah. Interesting choice, considering that Alabama fans are just going to make fun of him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like Tim Tebow. I know a lot of people don't like him. I don't really know why. He seems like a good dude and a Christian guy and blah, 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 and all that stuff. So I guess there's some stuff there for people to not like. But yeah, an interesting choice considering where he's from and who he played for. And then final notes. Uh, saw this article in the Indianapolis Star. Hillary Swank will, will stars, uh, stars the Indy 500's first woman racer in an upcoming movie on Janet Guthrie. Movie called Speed Girl. No release date is set. Hmm. So that's interesting. So I wonder, I wonder, I mean, is this going to be a streaming thing? Because weren't they doing a Janet Guthrie thing 30 for 30? They did one. They did one, right? But yes. this is separate from that. Correct. So yeah, I, I, I hope it's, uh, I mean, with Hillary Swank on board, you would hope it's some sort of major motion picture. Um, and it's not driven too. basically. <laughs> too driven. Too, too fast. Too fast, too <laughs> driven. <laughs> did they make they did not make a driven two, right? 
I don't think so. Okay. I didn't think so either. Uh, no. <laughs> One was enough. I would totally watch it, though. Yes, I would. Hopefully Just it will see have how the, bad it is. the same level of insane of crashes and... And that's part of the the rapid response book that I now that I've finished it, I need to give you to read because there are a couple chapters on him being he's actually in the movie as one of the responders with the big crash into the pot lake thing, whatever, and you know, it's raining and all that stuff. So you get some some behind the scenes driven intel from rapid response. Never did I expect when we sat down to record that this would shift to a, a tidbit about driven that was actually interesting. <laughs> Let alone that we'd be talking about the movie Driven. Yeah, see, it's timeless. That's how iconic the movie was. Look at us in 2022, still talking Driven. Driven has uh, lived long enough to see itself become the villain. <laughs> to quote Batman. Yeah, to quote Batman, for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. One yeah, other thing I forgot to get to, Nathan Brown and the Indy Star had an article, uh, interview with Ricardo Junkos, talking about the Carlin deal. Basically, majority of the... The team from Carlin shifted over. Uh, Hunko said 50 to 70% of those who worked on the 59 car last season jumped on board with Hunko's Hollinger Racing. Team's engineers are still Carlin employees through a technical alliance similar to Andretti Autosport and Meyer Shank Racing. So that's how that deal is set up. And basically their plan this year is they want to get results second half of the season. They have enough equipment. They could run two full-time cars or even a second part-time entry this year. They don't plan to do that. R- Ricardo saying we're going to take this year like a testing season and to stay with this plan of one driver all season. But as soon as we decide on another for 2023, that's going to change the whole game plan. I kind of wonder, seems like I lots on loan for the season. And then next year, Carlin will have a completely different lineup and it could be two cars. I really like the approach that it's just one car throughout 2022. I know there's the potential that they add a second car here or there, particularly late in the season. I could see maybe like Laguna Seca, Portland, you know, maybe start dabbling your way in there in, into the two car realm. But I'd really like to see this team develop as a one car team. The, the the crew, the engineering department, just handle one for the majority of the season. And then next year come out with, you know, maybe you just dabble with a part time schedule next year for a second car. You know, take it by progression. We've seen other teams do this, and it's worked very, very well. So, you know, if Callum Eilat starts getting some results, a couple top tens, you know, maybe the excitement builds and you want to put in a second car in here or there, but I hope that the team holds off and really just uh, takes their time, grows little by little, and does a, you know, a great job with that single car this year. All right, time to preview the Expel 375 this weekend at Texas Motor Speedway. A couple of notes and stats first. Trackside Online mentioning four of Scott Dixon's six IndyCar championships, 2008, 15, 18, and 20, have included wins at Texas. And then Chad 200's three key stats for Texas. Only six of 34 races won from pole. Last time was back in 2010. That's crazy. Man. Dixon has won three of the last five Texas races, leading 678 of 1,156 laps, or 59%. And Graham Rayall has finished sixth or better in six of the last seven races, including the 2016 win. Interesting. There's some, some stats and notes. All right, the weekend schedule. Saturday, again, all these times are Eastern. Practice one, Saturday morning, 11 to noon Eastern. 
Peacock, IndyCar Radio, SiriusXM. Practice, or excuse me, qualifying, 2 to 3 o'clock Eastern, Saturday afternoon. Same three outlets. Practice 2, 5 to 6 o'clock Eastern, final practice. Which is, again, surprising because they're not going to run the race at that time of day. They'll have a pre-race starting at noon. IndyCar Radio will start at noon. NBC coverage will start at 12.30. TV window through 3 o'clock. Green flag time. Now, 12.40, I think. 12.40 is what Eastern, I've seen. Yeah. And then the Peacock post-race show will be from 3 to 3.15 Eastern Sunday afternoon. So that is your weekend schedule. Do you have a pick for this weekend? Oh, boy. I will say, man, Joseph Newgarden. Hey, that's who I'm going to pick. Oh, <laughs> man. See, this is how unscripted this is. All right. So our pick for the weekend is Joseph Newgarden. We'll probably be wrong for that. All right. Tweets of the week time. And then we'll get to our favorite thing, the random split air driver of the week to wrap it up. First off, tweets of the week. This from Marcus Erickson. Uh, a month ago, K-Mag tested IndyCar at Sebring and was slowest. Now, first day back in an F1 car and he's fastest. Must mean IndyCar is a lot harder, more competitive than F1. <laughs> Clearly settles that discussion once and for all. He had a, a wink emoji and hashtag, let's see who understands. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yes. Uh, Renus VK tweeted, how hard is IndyCar oval racing? I popped blood vessels on the right side of my body. Thanks to all those G-forces during last week's test. Texas Motor Speedway. Well, at least you're not getting dizzy and, um, <laughs> you know, getting vertigo and losing 2001 cart yeah. would like a word, right? Jenna Fryer says, uh, so formula one tweeted IndyCar ace Colton Herta will get experience behind the wheel of the 2021 McLaren F1 MCL 35 M this year talking about his development deal. And Jenna Fryer says F1 calls him an ace, but FIA won't recognize his aceness to grant him a license with the, uh, Hmm emoji. True. True. But then, rules are rules. That's right. And then finally from Indy 44, how about we just have Mario Andretti go out and drift the two-seater for 100 laps? I'd pay to see that. Hashtag laying a patch. Yes, he definitely could. I mean, just do be do some drifting in the turns. That potentially could do the trick. Whatever's going to work to make yeah. this race watchable. I don't care what it is. Some, do something, but you don't have much time. All right. Time for our random split era driver of the week. All right, we're going to go back to the uh, the OG of the IRL, the 96-97 season. And you're going to recognize this name, but I, I often forget about this person being in a car. So I'm just going to throw him out there this week. The random split air driver of the week for this week is Mike Shank. Wow. Who was in a single race. In the 96-97 season, the only open-wheel race he raced, both either in kart, IndyCar, IRL, whatever, uh, was at Vegas. It was the second Vegas race that year. And for Nine House Motorsports. Never heard of him. Me neither. Was in a Riley and Scott chassis, Oldsmobile engine. It was his lone race. Uh, Of course, he raced in Formula Atlantics. uh, But... um, it was his one and only race ever in American open wheel racing major. And it was the uh, 1997 Las Vegas 500K. 500 kilometers, one yes. would assume. 
500,000 miles is what that was. <laughs> but uh, I think it was Mike Shank finished 16th in his lone race. I'm looking at it here. Um, let's see. Out of 31 starters. Wow. Finished 28th. Not 16th. What I find fascinating, I'm looking at the engine manufacturers. For that race? Yeah. You have Buick, Ford Cosworth, well, just for the season. Buick, Ford Cosworth, Oldsmobile, Infinity, Menard. What is that, five? It's five. Man, the glory days of open wheel <laughs> racing. Just because you, had a lot, you have a lot of OEMs doesn't mean you're in a good spot. But uh, looking at that race... Um, at Vegas, Billy Boat won it. No, that's qualifying. Hold on. Man, I was, I was very wrong. So uh, Mike Shank did finish 16th after starting uh, down. But you know how many, how many drivers finished in the lead lap in this race? Two. Close. Six. <laughs> Six of 31. Times have changed. Yes. And you had a top 10 driver not finish the race. Stefan Gregoire went out with a gearbox on lap 204. Stefan Gregoire. Wow, I have not heard that name in several years. I'm afraid to use any other name because we may be using these in future random split era driver of the week <laughs> uh, stories. But Mike Shank, his, his loan, maybe next time we talk to Mike, we'll ask him about that race. It was the second Vegas race. Finished 16th after qualifying back in, toward the back. And, you know, he did Atlantix, but it was like... Um, after wasn't it um no he was the owner in atlantics correct he he owned an atlantics team yeah he and did remember like, he uh, tried to get into indycar back in 2012 and it did not work out yeah so i think he's he uh it says he won the in 1989 the scca ohio valley region's novice driver of the year i have no idea what that is i mean i imagine it's a uh regional series of some sort uh, he also won the 1996 Players Toyota Atlantic C2 Championship. So is that like the 1B to Atlantic's 1A? Potentially. I don't know. Another question we'll have to ask Michael. But I think we get so enraptured in his team ownership, uh, particularly you know not just uh, in sports cars, but also trying to get into IndyCar you know, earlier, you know, eight, nine, ten years ago now. And now here that we forget that, and I often forget that Mike Shank appeared in a single IRL race back in 1997. It was the uh, Las Vegas 500K with nine house motorsports. Again, I, I've never heard of them. Riley Scott chassis, Oldsmobile engine. Finished 16th in that race. Finished 46th overall that season with 19 points. One is one and only IndyCar and IRL cart start. Mike Shank. And with that, did you uh, hear the news that NASCAR is going to be racing at Le Mans? I saw that. They're going to race the, I, mean, I always want to say the car of tomorrow, but their new car. The next gen car. The next gen car, which is what they're racing this year, right? Yes. And it will be racing at Le Mans next year in it's just, Garage 56. So it's it's not competing as far as for a, a win in a class or overall. Yeah, it's They just reserve be that space. Team Hendrick, NASCAR, and Chevy teaming up. For this entry at Le Mans in 2023. Interesting, I guess. I mean, I interesting. Is it going to draw me to eyes to it? No, but it may do some NASCAR eyes. Maybe. Yeah. And, 
you know, NASCAR wanting to expand their footprint. And this is a way to start to do that. Yeah. I think it's a good move. I, I'm not excited about like, this doesn't make me want to watch the race anymore. I will watch bits and pieces of the 24 hours of Le Mans, but I mean, it's not like I'm going to watch more of it because this uh, cup car is running in it. Well, you're, you're trying to get crossover fans. So not only are they trying to get NASCAR fans to watch Le Mans, but vice versa. They're trying to get some of those sports car fans to then dabble in cup. So, and also you can showcase a cup car in Europe, which you can't do that. See, there you go. It's all about drawing fans from a different locale. We saw them do it at the LA Coliseum. And I think it was a good move by, by NASCAR to do so and get your product in front of people that otherwise wouldn't see it. And this is another Avenue towards that. Also, another avenue for that for IndyCar is having a bunch of country acts at Iowa Speedway, but some people frown upon that. (laughs) Tell me how you really feel. (laughs) Oh, well, we're not going to please everyone, especially in the IndyCar series. Busy weekend of racing. You have NASCAR. Where's NASCAR at this week? Atlanta, I think. Atlanta? Okay, NASCAR at Atlanta. You have, obviously, F1 at Bahrain, so I, I misspoke when I said Australia the other week, but... You're right. NASCAR is at Atlanta, 3 o'clock, so IndyCar will get in before the cup race. Again, TV coverage on NBC at 1230. We have F1 this weekend in the morning, which that starts at, let's see, race 11 Eastern on Sunday. Oh, man. So So it'll finish right before the IndyCar race, basically. Pretty much. So it's kind of like a... uh, miniature memorial day sunday a little bit you can get uh, f1 then you get indycar and then you get cup and then before that on saturday you have sebring there you go so busy racing weekend i'm sure i'll catch some of it i'll catch a lot of the ncaa tournament for sure but with that for justin kinney i'm caleb hatch thanks for joining us on another edition of new track record podcast Podcasts by Federated Media.